I want to start off and just tell you my wife is not here. She is still doing that grandma thing in Virginia. And uh, yes, she's tired, and yes, she misses being here. I, uh, I flew back yesterday. She's got about 10 more days there to help out with kids as some things. And I just, this, again, this is for the guys. Some of this stuff might be for the guys. You've got to be careful of trick questions, guys, particularly when they're from your wives. Let me give you an example. My wife and I, she's giving me a hug yesterday morning as my son's getting ready to take me to the airport. And she goes, baby, she says, uh, you look like you're really excited to leave. There's the uh-oh. <laughs> I said, no, baby, I'm already missing you. And she looked at me and she says, you're excited to get back to church, aren't you? See, there's the point where you can tell a little of the truth and see if it gets by, you know, and I am missing her. But then she just lays it out there, and I was. I was so excited. She knew it, and I'm excited for her to get back here with us. But those grandkids seem to have a pull on her. I don't, I'm going to take and cut that rope, okay, that's got her tied down there. You know, as we begin, we're starting a new series. And to me, I've, I've prayed over this and other people and, and pastor friends of mine as we go into this. And for the next two months, May and June, we're going to center in on one central theme, and that's called Courageous Living. That's our series, Courageous Living. And as I processed this and prayed over this, and here's where I've, I've kind of landed on this, I've had the privilege of speaking across our nation. This isn't bragging. I'm just saying a lot of times it's because my wife was tired of me, and she says, isn't it time for you to take a trip, you know, schedule something to go speak? But I've spoke pretty much across our nation and, I don't know, a dozen other countries and so forth. And here's one of the things that I seem to feel and think and so forth. And if she starts crying, I'll hold her up here. Okay. I mean, I can do this. I can multitask. I'm a papa. Okay. I just wanted to get that out there early. Okay. So bottom line is too many Christ followers, Christians, I feel like they're just living mediocre lives, that they're living in fear. They're living in this feeling that they don't measure up. They're living with this understanding they're not good enough, and they haven't done this, and they haven't done that, and a lot of times they're focused more on what that doesn't bother me if she cries, but that's okay. But bottom line, they're focused more on what they haven't done well than what God has let them do right and all of the other things. And so part of it is, is that for me, I look at this thing and I said, here's what God's called us to do. We've, we've gone over this scripture on multiple occasions in Matthew 28, 19. God commands us, all of us who say we're Christians, Christ followers, this is what we're supposed to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, here's the problem. It's very hard if we feel so inadequate that we don't measure up to convince somebody else to do what we're not doing. You ever get that? You need to do this, this, and this. And they say, well, are you doing that? Well, no, I'm not there, but that's what I want you to do. And I feel like we get trapped in this thing because we're not living courageously in that. That that problem that we have is that we're not living courageous lives that we're feeling victorious in what God is doing in and through us in the process. Now, I want to alert you of what I wrestled with on this. And part of that is, as I got started 
processing praying about courageous living. I know we're in a, you know, a time everybody's going to run for president and nobody, and I don't know what it's all about. But if you came here and you listened to this and you think what I'm trying to tell you as your pastor, that what we have to do is stand up as a church and take charge of our country. This is how we need to vote, and politically, this is the direction we need to go, and we've missed it. I've already got one frown. Stay with me. You're not going to hear that from me. So if you needed to hear that from a pulpit about what we need to do politically, I can tell you some churches you might want to go to because we're going to focus on our faith in God and Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you in advance, in doing so, if God moves you to examine where you're at in areas of your life, leave me out of it and take it up with God. He's available 24-7. I'm not. I turn my phone off at night. He doesn't. So my point is on this. I know in my own heart, God doesn't have a problem with politics. I mean, the word politic means the body, right? But He wants our politics to be shaped by our faith foundation, not our faith controlled by a political foundation. Does that make sense? So let's get it right. So I'm not going to tell you anything political. If you feel that, come and see me. But this is about our faith in Jesus Christ and living a courageous life, being the men and the women and the family of God and the community that He's called us to be. And that's going to affect us in a lot of ways, I think. But most of the things that, that impact needs to happen to us individually, because if it happens to us individually, it'll happen to us as a culture. We cannot ask God to change the culture without allowing God to change us first, whatever that looks like. So I'm uh, just going to tell you today's, today's message is living the courageous life, living the courageous life. The big idea is courage comes from the heart and leads us to a victorious mindset. Courage comes from the heart, leads us to a victorious mindset. I, um, I'm not going to start off with Scripture, but I want you to know we're going to use plenty of it. But I want to go to another spiritual document. It was called a book called The Wizard of Oz, I'm sure. And they turned it into a Christian movie, okay? What's fascinating about the book The Wizard of Oz, it was written and published in 1900. But there is a strong feeling of people that analyze what the different words and characters mean and so forth in each one of those. And it was really a, a reflection of the cultural time that the world, that the country was in at that point. You know, they got the tin man that represented the industrial workers. That's what it was supposed to be. The scarecrow's obvious. That was the farmers and the battle that was going on there. The lion actually represented a, pol a politician in that time frame. It's actually a guy named Williams Jennings Bryan. He was from Nebraska. He ran for president three different times, never elected. Goes through that. And they were in the middle of a crisis in terms of the gold standard, transferring that over from silver and so forth. And that's the yellow brick road. So you've got all of these things. But I want to focus on one part of this. And the one part that I want to focus on is the cowardly lion. The cowardly lion, you know, he attempts to bite Toto, and Dorothy slaps him, and she calls him a coward, and he believed her, and he said, that's right. That's what I am. I'm just a coward. And what he was really saying is, 
Because I'm a coward, I am not living up to the life that I was created to live. He's kind of saying, you know, I'm not brave enough to be the king of the beast that I was intended to be. I was created to be. But because of this lack of courage, I'm not the lion I'm supposed to be. It's interesting. Two things happen when he meets the wizard. He goes along this because he's convinced that if he goes with Dorothy to see the, the wizard of Oz, he'll get courage. The wizard does two things. First thing the wizard tells him, he says, here's your first problem. You've been a victim of disorganized mindset. Your thinking's disorganized. Isn't that an interesting statement for a children's book in 1900? You've been a victim of a disorganized mindset. And as I look at this over the issue of courage, right, and how many people fear this, they're concerned about that, they're worried about this, they're di- all of these different things to the point that some people just feel bound up and can't function. And I go, that's it. We've got a disorganized mindset. You see, because the organized mindset was meant to be built on a foundation of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, that foundation, the Scripture we just read. And when you don't have that as a foundation, everything that's built on that creates this disorganized mindset. The second thing that happens is, is that the lion is given a dose of courage to drink by the wizard. Now, here's what the lion doesn't know. The dose of courage that he drinks is a placebo. Definition, placebo, something that has a zero value. You know, when they do medical tests, the way they do it is they get two groups generally. They'll give one the medicine to test it. They'll give another one. It's called a placebo. It is just nothing but to see what the difference is in the two groups, right? He gives the lion a dose of courage to drink. That's a placebo. It's nothing. But what happens is when the lion drinks this thing, he gets an instant dose of self-esteem. Self-esteem to esteem oneself, to see oneself differently. Do you get that? And I, I relate this is to see yourself with God's eyes. The reason so many people are struggling is, is they're seeing themselves By their human eyes of failure, when they look in the mirror, the world's eyes that tells them they're not good enough and that this isn't adequate and so forth, and they're not seeing themselves with God's eyes. And so the lion was created with courage, but the lion had a disorganized mindset and took a placebo. I don't think it's by any accident or coincidence that we study the real lion the Lion of Judah. Several months ago, I talked to you and I said, you know, there's an interesting statement that is made in the Bible that Satan comes like a lion. And we kind of took a few minutes to look at that because when we use the words, it was very careful. Doesn't come as a lion, he comes like a lion. When you look at those words, it says, he's not really a lion. We have one lion, the Lion of Judah. We have one lion that died for us on that cross. We have one lion that is there, that is meant if we're created in His image, right? That as He is courageous, we were created to be courageous. In Revelation 5.5, here's what the Scripture tells us. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion 
from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll in the seven seas at seven seals. But so we're not going to get into a study of the of the revelation today. But just get this. God is consistent through his word. What was foretold even in Isaiah, in Isaiah about the child being born, we take that all the way through. It will come through, you know, the tribe of Judah. It will have the root of death. All of that's there, and we're in the revelation. And he says, do not weep because everything God has said. But I want to focus on two words right here, okay? Two words that he's got in this, and that is, he says, do not weep the lion from the tribe of Judah, right? The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Here's the two words. You ready? Has conquered. Has conquered. Let me tell you the words that aren't there. Could conquer. Might conquer. If he felt like it. Should conquer. None of those are in there, are they? What does it say? That the lion of Judah for me and for you, individually, for us as a church, has conquered. Now, if the Lion of Judah has conquered, He has done that for us. We should live a victorious life courageously as conquerors, not victims. It goes on when we look at this. As God speaks to us about this issue of being courageous, it runs all the way through the oldest books in the Old Testament, takes us right into the New Testament. We look at Deuteronomy 31.6, and this is where Moses is turning over the leadership. He's not going into the promised land. He's turning it over to Joshua, right? Now, here's what he says to Joshua, 31.6, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them, for the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, my dad was there. If he said something to me twice, it had significance. You know, if it was one of those where dad said something and then there was a pause, and he says, now let me just tell you this one more time. I knew I needed to listen, particularly to the second, even if I hadn't listened to the first. You get this? But there's also a difference when something is said to you privately, right, and then all of a sudden, publicly, it is made known in the same way that also has power with it. So right after that, here's what God says in Deuteronomy, but going to 31, 7 and 8. So right after Moses has spoken to Joshua and said, be strong, be courageous, you got that? Here's what, Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him, get this, in the sight of all Israel... Make no mistake about this. This is what he's saying in front of everybody. Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to give to their ancestors. And then he goes on to say, you will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I mean, those are pretty powerful words, aren't they? But isn't it interesting to me, I'm still in this growing process. I tell you all the time, we're all on the same journey. You know, every time I'm studying stuff and so forth, and God's got me on this journey, 
you know, and you're seeing things light up differently and say, I've read that before, but, but it's this, this part of it. We're all on this journey together. And I, I sit there and I'm still just in awe of God when I read his word and he says this thousands and thousands of years before. He's consistent with this all the way through. Then he gets over here in the New Testament it's after, and he says it again and confirms what he said back here. And I go, oh my goodness, that's not by coincidence. That's not by accident. That God is doing that, He is consistent all the way through with His Word for us and all that goes with that. So our foundational Scripture, as we go through this whole series for a couple of months, and you'll hear it over and over again, is 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It's a real long one. You ready? How many words in that? Be alert. Stand, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. You know, leave that for a second. I, and I've read this in multiple different versions, but one of the things when it's translated that I feel is the strongest is when it says, be alert, stand, stand firm in your faith, because it, it takes it out of this context that it's a package sitting at a store you know, or a situation, this is our faith over here. This is ours over here. But he becomes really personal when he says, but this is your faith. What do you believe? Remember when Jesus asked Peter and he says, you know, they, some say you're Elijah, some say you're this, right? Remember when he said, but, but let's get real personal. Who do you say I am? Isn't that the real issue? So this, be alert, stand firm in your faith, in your faith. Then be courageous and be strong there. I want to give you three things for today. The first thing I want to tell you is that courage is not the opposite of fear. The opposite of fear is to be brave. Fear is overcome and defeated by being courageous, and the results is the appearance of bravery. Let me say it again for you. The opposite of fear is brave. Fear is overcome and defeated by being courageous, and the results are the appearance or the characteristic over here of bravery. You know, some of the things in my own life, and I look back and sometimes you, you'd like to have a do-over, you know what I mean? There's some things I would like to have done differently with my son, my daughter, our two sons, our daughter. One of the things that happens in our family is and they say it in love in the nicest of ways. Oh, Dad, you're a lot better papa than you were a dad. And then they pause because they, you know, how sensitive and emotional I can get. I've, I've explained to you in Ranger Battalions, Special Forces, Green Berets, some of the foundational training was on sensitivity and delicacy. And I'm working on that. But they go, Dad, you're so much better as a papa than you were as a dad. And then they're very quick because they catch themselves because those words flow. And then they go, but, but you were a really good dad. I said, I already heard it. You know, when that bell is clanged, you can't unclang it. Trust me on this. And our daughter, and she was the first one, so she suffered, and suffered the brunt of having a father that was still in training in every way. And when her granddaughters, when her two daughters were born, and there would be times that I would be working with them and things that we were doing and so forth, then just helping them. And our grandkids, and I can remember, I just had this conversation a little over a month ago with one of the grandsons, and he and I had about two hours in the pool one time, 
and he wouldn't leave the side of the pool. And it just happened the hotel we were in, he and I were the only two there, and he had on the floaty things on his arm, but he still wouldn't do it. And little by little was able to lead him out. And when his parents came down, our son and daughter-in-law, he's swimming across the pool and so forth. And so there's a lot of things, you know, this Papa stuff. And when our granddaughters were there, my daughter would look at me, and very often I would see this look in her eye, and after the first time, I kind of identified what it was, and she acknowledged that. That seeing me there as a papa, now I'm far from being perfect, trust me. But she had this look in her eye was, where was that guy when I needed a dad like that? And I wasn't the same person then. And I can tell you, God gets all the credit for even as slow as I am right now on some of this stuff and working on it, but I wasn't the same guy back then. And I have to let that part go and just be the very best that I am right now. Because if we focus on where we've been and the failures there, it's going to paralyze us and cripple us for what God has for us in the future, okay? And there's some of you sitting in this room right now, you need to hear that. Because I can tell you this, there are people sitting in this room right now that your past is paralyzing and crippling you, one failure or something else, and it's preventing you from moving forward to the future that God has for you. We go to the New Testament on this issue of courageous, and what does it mean? In Colossians 3 and this, and uh, no, excuse me, I mean, I got ahead of myself on something. It was just the idea that, look, we've got to understand that this issue, and there's a difference between brave and courageous. I think brave is the act of being courageous. If you see somebody and they say they're sure a brave person, I think what you're seeing in them is an action coming out of them that is courageous. And what does that actually mean? Okay, they're courageous in a potentially tough and even painful situation. I think of courageous, it's being ready and even willing to face tough situations that are negative and sometimes potentially painful to deal with. But that's what courageous means. That's what courageous means. So we don't become courageous by trying to be brave. We become brave by being courageous. The second thing that I want you to get is that courage is not natural. Don't think that for a moment. As a baby, she needs her father and mother to teach her to be brave and not be afraid. Because we know this, it takes very little to frighten a baby, doesn't it? It can be a loud noise, it can be screaming at them, it can be all of this stuff. It can be things that happen, it can be a fall that takes place. We can go through all of this, the fear is there. But see, the courage it's what's taught to them. I told you my wife is still doing the grandpa thing, uh, the grandma thing, and I got to do for 10 days. One of the things that I got to do is we've got a one-year-old, and he's been in swim lessons since eight months. I got to take him because mom and dad were in an event. So just Papa and Reed got to go, one-year-old. It was so amazing watching this kid. But you know what my job was as his Papa? Every exercise they went through was to teach him things, but it was to give him courage that he would not be afraid because the natural thing is fear, not courage. The night before I left, Billy was giving Reed a bath, and he's sitting in the tub and splashing around. He takes the big water, and I walk in, and he's got the water, and he's pouring it over his head. She goes, that's incredible. She goes, have you ever seen him do this before? I said, yeah. She says, when have you seen him do this before? You've never given him a bath. 
That's not my job. I'm the papa. I get to hold him. She says, when have you seen him do this before? I said, Saturday at swim lessons, I poured water over his head. See, one of the drills there was teach him not to be afraid because fear is natural. If he goes down and he chokes, he's afraid, and you watch this. But if he can be confident in that. So there was two drills that I remember, you know, we paddle around, they click. But one of those is I had him in front of me, and I had to look at him, and I had to talk to him. And then I would take him out, and I would sweep him through the water about chest high, each time a little bit deeper, and then shoulder high. And on the third time, I took him, and I just looked at him, and I took him under, and I brought him up. And he trusted me. And he wasn't afraid. With the water over the head, you know what one of my drills was? I was told to do this. I'm not making this stuff up on my own. But we each had a pitcher. There were four, three parents and a papa in there. And I poured water over his shoulder. And I poured water over his shoulder. Then I poured a little bit on the side, a little here. And then I poured a little on his head, and he's just there. Because you see, courage is not natural. They've got to learn it from us. We have to teach them this. They have to know that their nature can be changed from a fear nature to a courageous nature. Now, here's the problem that we have. A lot of us didn't learn that lesson, and we're still living with a fear nature. You know, we talk about a new nature very often in the Bible, but it translates it as a new self. And what God tells us in Colossians, and He says this to us, in Colossians 3, 9 and 10, right? He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self. You get that? That's that old nature. We talk about this all the time. The nature that you have determines what you do naturally, okay? So he put off the old nature. So what we would do naturally before, we don't do that anymore. It says this, and it's practices, the way you lived with that old self. And you have put on a new self. You have a new nature that God gave you. And you are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your creator. So we've got to understand, to live a courageous life, we've got to put off and understand God's already taken care of that. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... You have a new nature, and it was never designed to be a fear nature. It was never designed to cripple you. It was never designed to paralyze you. It was meant to empower you as sons and daughters of the king for the work that he's called us to, for his purposes. And saints, we got to get that right. This church can have no impact in this community or any place else. If we're operating as victims and not victors, if we're operating in fear and we're not living courageously, this can be, this church can be nothing but what it is made up by the sons and daughters that are here in this community that we live in. This is us, and we've got to live this out. So, courage isn't natural, but your new self can be a courageous self, and that's what God intended. Here's the third issue. Courage is contagious. It is. I just, simple question. When things are really tough, do you want to be around somebody trembling in fear, lying on the floor in a fetal position, or somebody that's standing strong in the midst of it courageously? Who do you want to saddle up with? I'm telling you right now, you put me with courageous people. And I'll tell you this, when you put me with courageous people, I'm more courageous. 
And I would hope that all of us would understand that this courageous gift that God has given us in the new self, it was meant there for a purpose, and it's not just for us. Hey, look at me. But God uses this. I've shared this with you before probably a dozen times, but it's okay. If Billy was here afterwards, she'd say, you know, you've shared that with us about four times, that same story. And I said, I know, baby, but I needed to hear it again. And then she understands that because there's a lot of things I need to hear again. But you know the story of Gideon, and Gideon, you know, called out of the wine press and that. And the first part of that whole story is Gideon getting courageous enough to trust God. Wasn't that it? Because God called this coward out of a wine press and said, you mighty warrior, you man of valor. And, you know, Gideon's first thing is, you've got to be talking to somebody else. Do you see where I'm at and what I'm doing? And for the last seven years, we've been running from these people, hiding and all of that, right? So he hears this. So the first part of in Judges 6, it's all about Gideon trusting God to become courageous, to act courageously, right? And then we get to the story, and what happens is, is, you know, Gideon blows the trumpet. He's got 32,000 men that come. It's still 32,000 unarmed, untrained. They haven't held a weapon in seven years. They couldn't even hold a pointy thing, you know, without one of the Midianites being there. 32,000, totally unarmed, going against what historians will tell us was 150 to 175,000 trained, armed soldiers. Sounds like an unfair fight. It's not if you got God. Just trust me on this one. Okay, read it for yourself. Judges 6, Judges 7, right in through there. So he goes from 32,000 men, and God says, you know, if I give you the victory with 32,000, people will say, well, that's your victory, Gideon's victory. He says, we need to trim our numbers down. We call it military attrition. So he takes him from 32,000, drops 22, and now he's got 10,000. Same number of bad guys and 10,000. God says, that's still too many, you know. So he goes to 300. 300 unarmed men against this same 150 to 175,000 in the midst of this. But here's the thing. What Gideon does just before the battle I'm thinking everybody's got a choice. Here's a choice. You can stand up and tell everybody you're scared to death and you don't know why God would put you in a position like this, and you're probably not going to come out of it, but we need to do it. But I'm scared. Or my favorite scripture, Judges 7, 17, NIV. I'll read it to you out of the CSB, but it's, I'll come back to this. Here's the last thing he says to 300 that he's already divided into three companies. He says, watch me, he said to them, do what I do. When I come to the outpost of the camp, just do what I do. The NIV translation, I love it better because it just simply says, watch me, follow my lead, and when we get there, just do as I do. There wasn't one hint in there of his fear. Do you think he had some? I think he probably He's going, God, I'm with you on this thing, and i got to be because that's the only hope I've got, right? You get in situations like that. But, boy, when he operated in front of those, courage is contagious. It's absolutely contagious, and it brings other people. And let me tell you something else. Not only is courage contagious, but it's generational. We teach it to our kids. I just used the example with my grandson, but here's another part of the story that sometimes we don't get. If you continue reading where he chases all the bad guys in this and he captures two kings, right? But here's the one statement. Turning to his eldest son, 
Jether. Sounds minor, doesn't it? He turned to his oldest kid. Hey, son, how you doing? Right? Oh, but think about this. Guys, let me just talk to you for a second. Ladies, you can just look at the guys' faces. That's how this works sometimes. If you're going into a situation, let's say hypothetically, you're leading three unarmed, untrained, unskilled people against 150 to 175,000 trained soldiers, would your first thought be, you know, I think I'll take my oldest kid with me. This is going to be a great thing for him to see. Ah, he can just stand there as the battle goes on. I don't know how it's going to come out. We could all die. But I'm going to take my oldest kid with me. Ladies, let me talk to you for a second. Your husband comes to you and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to take your oldest son with me. We're going into this thing. We may not come back, but what the heck? You know, you only live this life once. You know, one of the things that when you have true courage in God, you trust God with everything you've got. And you're ready to courageously take whatever God gives you, trust Him, and act courageously. That one line, as much as my favorite scripture of that, my favorite leadership scripture of watch me, follow my lead, when we get there, just do as I do, is pretty important. But I always remember this. Gideon, a short time earlier, was a coward threshing wheat in a wine press. And when he placed his trust in God, that God was speaking to him, that God would use him, this coward from the wine press was willing to take his oldest son with 300 unarmed men and courageously go up against the enemy because he knew God had given him the victory. Being courageous, it's contagious. It's also generational. You know, I've got a lot of heroes and people that speak into my life, and many of them I've never met. Some by accident, I had a chance to talk to one on a phone that was incredible. But one of the guys that I've I've, I've read about and I've I've just I've admired in terms of how he lived his life through so many things was Nelson Mandela. For those that most of you probably know, was imprisoned during the apartheid in South Africa. And he would come out and in 1994 become the president of South Africa. And through all of that imprisonment and the treatment and everything that he received, it's hard to imagine anybody coming out of that other than Jesus with more grace, more mercy, more forgiveness, and more just raw leadership to lead a nation. There's a couple of quotes by Nelson Mandela. One of them is, he says this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid. He's the one that conquers that fear. Just read this a little bit differently. He is the one who courageously overcomes the fear. Then he becomes brave. Do you get that? We know the fear. It can be painful. It can be negative. We've got all the things with it. Through courage, you overcome that, are victorious, and that's where the characteristic of brave comes in. And let me just, and I've said this on other occasions, and it, it bears repeating. Ladies, so often our examples are men, and in the Bible they talk about the man, this and that. I, I want you to know with all of my heart, there's nothing about any of this that eliminates you, that makes you any less in the process. 
I've got so many brave women, courageous women in my life, around me. I know a lady that got pregnant in high school at 17, hit it, delivered the baby at 17, courageously raised that child and four others, and that would be my mother. And I'm the one she got pregnant with at the age of 17, her senior year in high school. Oh, you better believe I'm pro-life, okay? <laughs> Let me just tell you, <laughs> take that any way you want to take it. I'm just telling you personally, I am so very, very grateful. But you talk about a courageous woman at 17 in high school, pregnant in 1947. It's a little different, isn't it? So I just want to encourage you ladies in the process. I'll go on with Nelson Mandela and just say, I shared this with a friend of mine, more than a friend, a brother of mine, one of our board members, and he's been a guy that's traveled this world with me and stuff like that. Very often we attribute quotes, and this next quote has been attributed to Nelson Mandela. They said he used it in his inauguration speech in 1994. Even his website said, no, he didn't say that. Now, here's the fun part. It was actually written by a woman in 1992, two years before his inauguration. It was in a book that she wrote called A Return to Love, Reflections in the Principles, A Course in Miracles. And she had written this book, A Course in Miracles, years before. But she came back and she kind of rewrote and she said, you know, it's a return to love, the love of the miracles and seeing the miracles of God, right? A return to love, reflection of principles. Now, the reason I tell you that is might as well tell the truth, shame the devil, and move on. How many times have women done something, then the guy smiles and gets credit for it? You know what I'm saying? Might as well just laugh at that and say, that's just the world that we live in. I just did that for 10 days as the papa. I was really special. And my wife worked so hard, and everything they do, they turn to me and just smile. I say, yeah, here I am. Okay? But Nelson Mandela is given credit for this. It's not his. It's Marianne Williamson. And so here's what she writes. Our deepest fear, you may have seen this quote, is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are more powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that perhaps other people will feel insecure around you. She goes on to say this, We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make a manifest the glory of God that is in within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we let our light shine, it's contagious. Other people get to let their light shine too, the world that we live in. As we are liberated from our fear, right? Our presence automatically liberates others. It's contagious, isn't it? I want this to be a contagious church. I do. I want us to be a contagious family of believers. That as we let our light shine, as we are liberated from our own fear, and there's some sitting here and you're still wrestling with it, it's going to serve to liberate others that God will do that. Now, here's the interesting thing. I want to go back to the previous slide for just a second. This quote, my granddaughter wore it on the back of her shirt her senior year in high school for the lacrosse team. You know what was left out of the quote? And every time I've heard this quote and read this quote, except for studying about it, here's what's left out in the culture that we live in, right there in the middle. You are a child of God. 
They just pluck that out and throw it away and they close up the gap. Now go to the next slide. Here's what it says there. We were meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. Every single time I've read it, it was used in movies. I've heard it there. I've seen it. All of these, they always take out the God part. Let me just tell you, the God part is the part that allows us to be liberated from our fear. The God part is what allows our light to shine and let others' lights shine. It's the God part in us that gives us the courage to live life courageously in the world that we live in. We've got to do that. And so those two things, we're going to go back to the foundational scripture for these next few weeks. And it's simply this, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Here we go again. Be alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous and be strong. Where are you at today? Are you living courageously the life that God called you to live? Are you living in fear? Are you looking good on the outside, but on the inside feel crippled and paralyzed by some things in your past or things that aren't going well? Just a couple of days ago, I got a devotion from a very close friend. And I've shared this with you with Richard Exley in the book that we use, Encounters of the Cross. And Brenda went to be with the Lord last year and he's still he's processing us through this. But here was his devotion and he asked this question, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of before you'll fully surrender to Christ? What are you afraid of? And then he goes on to say, are you afraid that God's going to call you to do things that you feel inadequate in or not prepared for? I would add to it, are you afraid that God's going to call you to do some things that you might feel insecure about doing, ill-prepared? What are you afraid of? That's the real question for today. Because I can say everything God puts on my heart about living courageously, but if each one of us, me, you, do not deal with the issue of what we're afraid of. Doesn't it seem a little difficult for God to give us the courage to overcome something that we haven't acknowledged? We've got to do that. So I ask you simply, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? What are you afraid of? What are you gonna do about it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you your word is consistent. We thank you, Father, for the continuity in your word, year after year, day after day, verse after verse. Father, I pray right now that you'd speak to each one of us. Help us, Father, to face ourselves and face you. What are we afraid of? What's holding us back? from living the courageous life that lets our light shine, that gives permission to others to let their light shine. That as we're empowered, they feel empowered. That as we're courageous, they wanna be around courageous people. So Father, what's holding us back individually? Father, what's holding back this church from living a courageous life as a church and making the impact 
that God's called us to make in this community. Father, help us to ask the questions, come to you with the things that only you can answer for us and deal with us. And we ask you to do this, Lord, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's family said, Amen.